Hi, and welcome to this episode of Modern Health with Dr. Jane. I, of course, am Dr. Jane, and I'm super excited to share this week's topic with you, which is nine markers of health. These are the nine markers that I use with my patients to help them assess their health. One of the most common complaints that I hear from my patients when they come to see me is that their medical doctor has told them that everything looks great, their lab work is normal, yet they do not feel normal. They do not feel good in their skin. So these are the nine markers that I use to help find what is the root cause of the issue and help them get back to a more vibrant and energetic self. All right, so before we dive into the topic, I want to share my goal for the podcast with you. My goal is to help you gain control of your health, to learn and understand how your body works so you can live to your full potential. It is really important to me that people feel in control of their health and they have the courage to get another opinion where they don't get an answer that they want from their doctor. Your body isn't designed to be sick. So when you're tired, bloated, constipated, moody, or whatever the struggle you are experiencing, please know that it isn't normal and there is a solution out there for you. So in this episode, I'm going to share with you the nine markers of health that I use with my patients to assess their current health status. And also, it helps me understand where to start with them in order in, in terms of intervention so I can provide the quickest results possible. So let's dive in. What are the nine markers of health? Here they are. Sleep, energy, digestion, mood, appetite, weight, stress, activity levels, and then menstrual cycle or sexual health. I'm going to break down each and every single one of these markers so you have a greater understanding of what is what and why they're important in telling us what is going on with your health. They're also a great way to tell us when something is off and like I said before, to help us customize your treatment plan. So let's start with sleep. Sleep is probably one of the most important markers of health, whether it is the quality or the quantity of sleep. So having trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, not getting enough sleep, All of these things are markers that something is off. It is really important for our body to sleep. There's a lot of things that happen in our sleep, like our immune system, you know, gets flushed out. Our brain, the short-term memory goes into long-term memory and uh, recovery of muscle, growth hormone production, detoxification, A lot, a lot of things happen in our sleep. So it's really, really important that we aim anywhere between seven to nine hours a night and we get good quality sleep. So the only way that you're really going to know about the quality of sleep that you get is actually through a tracking device of sorts. And there's many of them out there. Now, if you don't track your sleep, one of the ways to know if you are getting good sleep or not is what time are you going to bed? What time are you waking up? And are you having any wakings in the middle of the night? And if you answered, you know, I go to bed at 9.30, I don't wake up in the middle of the night, I fall asleep fairly quickly, and I wake up at around 7 a.m., then the last question is, do you feel refreshed in the morning and you are ready to go? 
Because if every morning you are getting nine hours of sleep, but every morning you are exhausted, you are tired, you do not feel like you spring out of bed and it's hard for you not to hit the snooze button, I would look into potentially getting some sort of sleep tracking device because it tells me that you are probably not getting a high quality sleep. And I had this with my patient who was sleeping nine, 10 hours. And once she got a tracking device and the one that I recommend is called the Aura Ring, O-U-R-A. I love it. It is the gold standard for tracking your sleep and recovery. We figured out that she was only getting like 10 to 15 minutes of deep sleep, which is insanity because you should be aiming anywhere between one and a half to two hours of deep sleep. And there's a lot of reasons why you might not be getting into the deep sleep, but uh, it explained why she was feeling so tired when she's waking up in the morning. So sleep, I highly recommend that you track it, especially if you are having a hard time falling asleep, you're not staying asleep through the night, or you're waking up in the morning not feeling refreshed. Not having good sleep usually results in a lot of other things that we're going to talk about uh, in terms of our health, like making poor choices with food, our energy is not going to be great, our mood is not going to be great, whether you get more anxious or depressed, um, you know, we're less likely to exercise, we're more likely to gain weight. So sleep is really, really important. And the tracking devices, what they do is allow you to see your patterns. For example, when I first got my tracking device, I realized that I was actually over-exercising. I was overstimulating my nervous system and it was hard for me to go into deep sleep. It took me a long time to go into deep sleep because my nervous system was overstimulated. I felt good because I was running on adrenaline, but my sleep, my resting heart rate, and my HRV balance was telling me otherwise. I didn't know that until I tracked my sleep. So this is something that I recommend for everyone to do because the better you sleep, the better everything else tends to be. So improving your sleep, getting seven to nine hours, getting two hours of deep sleep and about two hours of REM sleep is going to make a really big difference in how you feel. Number two is energy. So number one is sleep. Number two is energy. One of the most common questions I'll ask my new patients is if you had to draw your energy on a graph throughout the day from morning to night, what would that look like? And are there peaks? Are they valleys? When are those peaks? When are those valleys? How long do they last? Do you feel, um, you know, a slow, steady incline in the morning or does it take, do you spring out of bed? Understanding how your energy level works really tells you a lot about what's going on on the inside, if you will. So if you're having a hard time waking up in the morning, it's possible that your cortisol response, your stress response is really sluggish. And that usually happens after a long period of stress. On the other side, if you've only had five or six hours of sleep and you're waking up wired in the morning, I call that wired but tired, it's also an upregulated cortisol response. So 
too much stress going through the system for too long is going to cause your stress levels, your adrenaline to be high. And this is a tricky one because most of the time adrenaline feels pretty good. We, you know, um, it feels very energetic and you feel like you can conquer the world. So if you have that for too long, our system will burn out because that overstimulation happens. And again, if you look at your sleep, you're not getting that long, deep recovery sleep, which I know will eventually lead to trouble. So you just want to pay attention to your energy throughout the day. Vice versa is true when you are sluggish, you need caffeine to just start your day and you know you can't get through the day without a bunch of coffee or sugar to stimulate your yourself, it's usually a sign that your health is struggling. Number three is digestion. And digestion is also probably one of the highest markers of health that I look at and do not take lightly because our digestion is the epicenter of our health. We are what we eat, but we are actually what we absorb. So even if we're eating high quality foods, but let's say we feel bloated, we feel gassy, we have heartburn after we eat, the chances are we're probably not absorbing that food to its full potential. And that can lead to hormone disruption, that can lead to mineral and vitamin deficiencies. And then of course, that's going to affect how you heal. It's going to affect your energy. It's going to affect your libido and everything else in between. So digestion is really important. You want to have regular bowel movements. You don't want to have any bloating or you know indigestion after you eat uh, food and in general you don't want to feel very heavy after you eat either meaning you eat and it feels like your food is digesting in your stomach and then it moves through as opposed to it's like a rock almost sitting in your stomach it is important to have more than one, at the very minimum, one bowel movement a day, but really I'd like to see two or three. If you eat every day, you need to poop every day. And I don't care what your medical doctor has said that, hey, it's normal for you to poop two to three times a day because that is the way you have always been. So that is the way you are. If you eat every day, you need to poop every day. And most of it, most of us eat more than once a day. We eat two, maybe three bigger meals in a day. Those meals should be full of high quality fats and proteins and lots and lots of fiber through your green, you know, vegetables and fruits and um, just well-balanced meals. So if you're eating those things, you should be pooping. And if you're not eating those things, then the digestion is going to get sluggish. And maybe you get loose stools and diarrhea, or maybe you're actually skipping days, or that stool is not well-formed. You have to strain. Um, it's painful. You have hemorrhoids. Whatever it is, those things are not normal. So we want to make sure that we are assessing that at all times and understanding what is it that's, where is it that we can improve? Is it the quality of our food? Is it the quantity? Is it the timing? What are the habits around nutrition and digestion that we can change in order to improve our absorption? Because remember, we are what we absorb. So if you're not absorbing that food, 
Those nutrients are not going into your system and your body does not have the energy to now give you energy or to heal for the immune system to function, to regulate your mood and everything else in between. Number four is your mood. This is probably one that's always overlooked. And a lot of the times people don't really know how they feel. We kind of just go through our day without doing any sort of check-ins and figuring out, hey, am I like, what is it that I feel on a regular basis? And when I ask my patients this, one of the most common answers I get is that I feel fine. Everything is fine. But the truth is they don't actually really know how they feel. So they'll say fine. And fine usually is a sign that they're brushing a lot of things aside and pretending that things are not really bothering them because God forbid something is bothering us. I of course have patients who are very open about their emotional health and that's really great. And sometimes we get stuck in our emotions as well. So if you're feeling anxious or depressed, we get stuck in feeling sad and we start to associate ourselves with those emotions. I am depressed. I am anxious versus I feel anxious and I feel depressed or I feel sadness. It uh, helps to dissociate you from being that actual you know, mood or emotion. Though, And the point to that is if you are always feeling frustrated, angry, and you have a short fuse, or you have, you know, a lot of sadness, depression, or a lot of anxiety and overwhelm, it tells us a lot. It tells us a lot about what's going on in your system. Our neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, um, and adrenaline, they all help to regulate our mood. So for example, in depression, usually we might not have enough serotonin. It might actually be too much serotonin, uh, you know, not enough adrenaline in our, because we've been stressed for a long time or digestion isn't working. But if you feel like you have a hard time regulating your mood or, you know, your emotions, or you don't really understand, there is a mental and emotional component to it. Yes, where you might benefit from some counseling, but there's actual physical things that might be going on that result that are resulting in this mood fluctuation. For example, having low B12, having low iron. I see a lot of patients who have those nutrients low actually have a lot of anxiety. And their, their digestion is usually not working well. So now you understand that they're potentially are not absorbing enough iron or B12 or they're using it up too much because they're anxious. So this is, you know, the, the snowball effect. But the point being is that our mood does tell us about our health. So if you're the kind of person that says, well, I'm super healthy and I don't have anything wrong with me. Um, it's the point is not to find something wrong, but the point is to really listen to your body and ask what it is telling you, because our body will give us a lot of yellow signals before it gives us the red one, which is a more serious diagnosis where we usually need medication. So this is a great way to check in and say, Hey, how am I feeling today? What is going on for me? Am I happy and fulfilled with where I'm going? Can I handle my emotions? You know, do I have emotional resiliency or do I feel like I just uh, suppress all of my emotions and or, you know, stew in them as well? So that's number four. 
Number five is our appetite. Appetite is really important because it tells us a little bit about digestion, but it also tells us about our hormones. So if we don't have any appetite at all, this could be a sign of our stress hormones being dysregulated. It could be our thyroid, and it could also just be poor digestion. So when we don't have enough stomach acid and enzymes that break down our food when we eat it, your body's just going to start to associate eating with pain, aka indigestion. And so you're going to start to get more suppression of the appetite because your body just doesn't want to be, you know, in quote unquote pain. The other thing is it could be ravenous appetite. And now when you have a ravenous appetite, I'm looking at things, again, stress. So some people respond to stress by eating everything in the house, while others will uh, respond to stress by not eating anything at all. So it's really important to know yourself and how you respond. But another um, thing that could be causing the appetite to be ravenous is things like parasites, uh, things like you know a viral or bacterial infection, especially if you crave a lot of sugar. Bacteria, parasites, all those nasty things, they love sugar. They feed off sugar. So our microbiome can dictate our appetite a lot and what kind of foods we lean towards. So paying attention to your appetite and understanding that, hey, do I even get hungry? And when I do get hungry, do I listen to that or do I ignore it and keep working? Um, or, you know, I can't stop eating after a certain period of time because that will also tell us a little bit about our neurotransmitters. Did you know if you are looking for a reward at the end of the day, that's actually a dopamine deficiency? Of course, that's something that you can uh, translate with lab work and confirm it with lab work. But a lot of the times my patients who have had a stressful day, didn't eat enough, but then when they come home, they just want to eat the entire kitchen. They're actually looking to hit that dopamine reward center in their brain. So they're just looking to get a reward. Um, I find that this is a very neat observation to make about yourself because when you do start to support the neurotransmitter levels, you will actually stop having cravings, which is very, very cool. And of course, as you change your microbiome in the gut, so the bacteria that your gut is made up of, you will also get different cravings. You'll start to crave things that are you know, more good for you versus things that are not as favorable. Number six is your weight. That is a big marker of health. Now, I want you to look at weight as a piece of data. Try to strip away. I know as hard as it is, especially for females, but please strip away what weight represents. It's not about how much you weigh, but how you feel in your skin. However, if you're carrying an extra 20 or 30 pounds, maybe it's an extra 50 or 100 pounds, and you cannot lose that weight despite having a good diet and exercise routine, we have to look. It's a big sign that something is out of balance. And usually that is a hormonal issue, whether that's an insulin, so blood sugar dysregulation. It could be a thyroid issue, 
hypothyroidism, and it could be a stress issue, HPA axis dysregulation. This is when our brain is overstressed for a long period of time. We've pumped out a lot of cortisol, which is our stress hormone, and then we get stuck with this kind of tire around our waist, and we can't seem to lose that weight. Our system is still in that fight or flight, and so everything that we eat is basically just holding on because we don't know when the next meal is coming from, where in reality, we do know when the next meal is coming from, but our body can't differentiate the fight or flight stress that we're going through. So weight is really important to look at, but look at it objectively, not as a way to blame yourself, not as a way to start crazy diets that are 1200 calories or less, but really to just, hey, if I eat a well-balanced meal three times a day and I sleep well, or I do, you know, I exercise, my weight should be this number. And this is something that I struggled with in my early 20s. I exercised a lot and I believed I ate the best that I could. And what was, and I was an extra 25 pounds. And what was actually happening was that my digestion was a mess. I was really inflamed. I wasn't absorbing my nutrients. I had some anxiety issues. And so it was impacting everything else. And I, because I was over-exercising, I actually depleted myself more and more, which caused more stress. And so when I started to replenish myself, the weight came off without me even trying. Now, it didn't come off overnight, but I focused on healing instead of on losing weight because the weight is just a symptom. It's a side effect. So we want to look at it as such and understand why that weight is not coming off. But of course, you also have to learn how to make better decisions when it comes to food. You have to change your habits around food. A lot of them I actually find are mental, emotional, as opposed to um, you know, physically buying better groceries. We all know what we need to do. It's just what we do during the times of stress and what our habits are around nutrition that we, you know, maybe got from our parents or whoever else that was a big uh, influence on us as we grew up. Number seven is stress. Yes, stress impacts absolutely everything. I've touched up on it already a couple of times, but basically stress makes everything worse. And it's important, and stress is not going away, okay? So it's not about making stress go away. It's about changing the perception of what we find stressful. And it's about building resiliency within our body to be able to adapt and handle stress well. It's about planning breaks, knowing that life is going to be stressful, work is going to be stressful, family, you know, raising a family is going to be hard. So you need to plan breaks to give your system a break, a literal break from all of the cortisol, which is that stress hormone to pump through your system. Gaining an awareness of where your stress comes from and what you find stressful is really, really important. For example, if you are a people pleaser, you are going to find it very stressful when people don't like you. You are going to find it very stressful to set a boundary. However, it is actually the thing that you need to do most 
to set a boundary is going to take a lot of courage, but it's also going to give you some room to breathe and some room to relax. So gaining greater self-awareness when it comes to stress is probably the greatest thing that you could do for your health. Because let's face it, when we are stressed, we cannot sleep. Our energy is down. We're not going to digest well because now we're in a fight or flight state instead of rest and digest. Our mood is going to be all over the place. Our appetite is going to be affected. And yes, we're probably going to gain some weight or maybe we're going to lose weight. And that actually reminds me, I forgot to mention one point on weight. It is possible to be underweight, right? When we feel too frail, when you feel, you know, not strong and confident in your body. So there is a middle ground with weight. um, And that's just the last kind of point that I wanted to add. Stress, like I said, is changing your perception. And really just understanding what it is that you find stressful and why you find it stressful and breaking through some of those patterns. I do quite a bit of counseling with my patients and I find that when we can shift the mindset around stress or really understand what it is that causes us stress, this is when everything else falls into place. So please don't underestimate the levels of stress that you are going through. Number eight is activity level. So what is your activity level? How much do you exercise? Now, I come from a background of being an athlete, and I used to train five, maybe six days a week, whether it was you know high intensity like CrossFit with weightlifting. And what I actually found was I weighed about 10 pounds more because of the excessive inflammation from the training, but also because of the upregulation of my stress response. Exercising at high intensity is stressful. Now, exercising at high intensity is also the best way to get in shape. You just don't want to overdo it. And you have to Pay attention to your stress levels. So if you had a super stressful day at work, your family stuff is all over the place, you haven't eaten properly, one of the worst things that you can do is go into a high-intensity workout. One of the best things you can do is go for a nice long walk in nature, just outside, whether it's with your dog, your partner, your family, or by yourself listening to a podcast or not listening to anything at all. Um, but really understanding when you need high intensity versus low intensity movement. And we do need movement daily. I always tell my patients to aim for about 10,000 steps a day. So you want to be getting up every hour um, or, you know, every two hours at the very most and just increasing that blood flow. It's very, very important to move for our health. So when we're not moving, uh, energy levels go down. Usually you have a lot more aches and pains in your body. And if you do exercise, you won't recover as well. So moving on a regular basis is really important. But if you're overdoing it, if you're on the other side of it, like you're over-exercising, you will probably have issues with sleep. Your energy is going to start to suffer eventually. You might be stuck in the adrenaline phase. You will probably have digestive issues. And the big one that I see is actually your mood, especially for females. If you start to get depressed and low mood, please, please, please look at your exercise routine because 
Overexercising will cause depression in females. This is really important. It depletes all of your neurotransmitters, and you will notice that depression worse in the second half of your cycle. Which brings me to number nine, and that's your menstrual cycle or sexual health. So menstrual cycle for females is really, really important. It is our fifth vital sign. Do you have regular periods? Are they painful versus they come on and you don't even know that they're there? Are they super heavy or they're non-existent and very light? Uh, do you have clotting in your period? Do you have PMS? Do you have ovulation signs? Our menstrual cycle is like our monthly report card. It tells us a lot about what's going on in our health. And I bet if you start paying attention to your diet and your sleep, you will notice big differences in your menstrual cycle and how you feel. If you eat a lot of um, processed foods, a lot of sugar, sugary type foods, or even high processed fat, the next menstrual cycle most of my patients will complain of it being more heavy, painful, and lots of clotting. And that's just the body trying to cleanse through the system because a lot is going on. So paying attention to your menstrual cycle and when it comes to fertility, we want to start paying attention to that cycle as soon as possible. So as soon as you get it, and now that we live in this birth control culture where basically women are on birth control since they're 16, and so they're on it for at least a decade before they're even thinking about having children. But most women are in birth control for over 15 years without even knowing what their cycle is like. So they're never getting that feedback. And the brain and the, and the way that the birth control works is that it blocks ovulation from the brain. So it just blocks the communication between the brain and the ovaries. And so this is a really big sign and symptom that we just don't get that feedback on a regular basis. And so if you start to feel a little bit tired, your energy is low, you're a bit moody, your digestion is, you're not going to tie it to the fact that it's maybe it's birth control because you're not getting that, you know, you're not get that, getting that monthly feedback, but it is a really, really important uh, thing for us to track. All right, last but not least, I want to talk about sexual health. So this is going to impact both male and female. And what I mean largely here is your libido. If you don't have a libido, whether you are male or a female, this is a, an important marker of health. Not having a libido, especially when you are, let's say, in your 20s or 30s or even 40s, is a really big sign that there is a decline in your hormones, uh, whether that's your testosterone or your DHEA, estrogen for females. We want to look at what's going on and what is causing that you know, libido to be down. Is it stress? Is it poor sleep, digestion? And, you know, we connect the rest of the markers to really understand uh, and round out the overall health assessment. So there you have it. These are the nine markers that I use to assess my patient's health. These are the nine markers that I use on myself to assess my own health. So I'm never Look, I'm always looking at where is it that I can improve my own health because my body is talking 
to me, just like your body is talking to you. You just might not know what it's trying to tell you, but our body will give us a lot of yellow signals before it gives us the red signal. And if you get in the habit of waking up in the morning and checking in with yourself and really not brushing off the symptoms that you have, but asking and being curious, hmm, I wonder what my body is trying to tell me. For example, if your digestion is all over the place, what is what is the food that I'm eating that's causing my stomach to hurt? Or maybe it's because I'm eating on the run. Maybe I just need some lemon and ginger water to help my stomach or you know and my liver and gallbladder to absorb and digest the food that I'm eating. This is really simple and powerful way for you guys to check in with yourself so you don't get into a place of I had no idea what's coming and all of a sudden I am sick. Okay, the body always gives us yellow signals before it gives us red. And my hope with this is that you start to track and pay attention and don't disregard the symptoms that you have, but instead work with an alternative healthcare practitioner such as myself or acupuncturist, Cairo, anybody to help you prevent the illness from developing further into something more serious where you need a medication. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please uh, rate, leave a review, uh, leave a comment. I'd love to hear your feedback and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.